Why don't we all stand? We're going to start off with a time of prayer here tonight. It's good to see everyone. Trust that you had a good Christmas. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. That was my, what, 33rd Christmas. And every one of them, they just seem to get more meaningful and, and better. So I'm thankful for that. Thankful to the Lord for this season that we're celebrating. Why don't we just pray together, invite the Lord here tonight, and see what He would do. Lord Jesus, God, we desire for Your presence to be here. Lord, we want You to speak to us tonight. Jesus, we are Your children, God. We come before You to worship You. We come before You, Lord, to fellowship with Your, with your Spirit, God. We long for Your presence, Lord Jesus. We long for your anointing, Lord God. Whatever you would say to us, God, we want to hear your voice. We want to know your ways, Lord Jesus. We need your knowledge, God. We need your strength, Lord Jesus. We need the ministry of your spirit, Lord God. Jesus, all that we need, we can find it in you. You alone are the answer, Lord God. You alone hold the answers to our lives. Jesus, we acknowledge you tonight as the Savior. We acknowledge you tonight as the King. We acknowledge you, God. We give you praise. We give you glory, Lord Jesus. God, have your way tonight, Lord. Speak to us tonight, Lord Jesus. Speak to us tonight, Lord Jesus. Let our ears be in tune with you, God. Let our spirits be open to you. Let our minds and our hearts be focused on you, God, and what you would say to us tonight. Jesus, we avail ourselves to you. God, we make ourselves available to you tonight. Jesus, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, illuminate your word to us, God. Let your word be quickened in our spirit, Jesus. Let it be quickened in our hearts, O God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, why don't you just let some worship flow out of your spirit to the Lord right now. Jesus, we worship you. God, you alone are worthy. You are good, Lord Jesus. You are good, Lord Jesus. You are excellent, Lord. You are loving and you are kind, Lord. Jesus, you are perfect in all your ways. God, you're the giver of every good gift. You're the giver of every blessing. We're thankful for it, Lord Jesus. God, you are high and exalted. You're worthy to receive praise. You're worthy to receive praise, Lord Jesus. Lord, we exalt you. We praise you, O God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah to your name. Praise be to your name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to let you be seated. I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. And this is a very interesting passage of Scripture. I don't know that I've ever seen it this way until recently. I'm not going to dwell on this, but I just want you to see there's a principle in this passage that I think we can pick up tonight, Matthew chapter 22, go ahead and look at verse 23, this is while Jesus was on the earth ministering with his disciples, 
And we, we know that there were two groups that very commonly um, came up to him, not necessarily um, were in contempt of him, but they were always asking him and questioning him. And those are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So just to make it clear, the difference, the main difference in those two groups, the Pharisees and Sadducees, is that the Pharisees believed there would be a resurrection at some point in the future, a resurrection of the dead, of saints. And the Sadducees did not believe that there would be a resurrection. And so that's kind of one clear distinction that you can draw between those two parties. And so in this passage, we're going to read the Sadducees um, almost as if they're trying to stump Jesus or bring, bring him a trick question. Um, they present him with this uh, scenario, this situation, and they want to hear his take on it. Um, I don't know if they wanted to hear his take to, to know the truth as much as they just wanted to see what kind of answer do you have to this difficult situation, and, and then we'll judge whether we think that's right or not. So it says, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, we're going to keep reading, saying, Master, Moses said, they're pointing back to Moses in the law, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Verse 25, now there were with us seven brethren. Okay, this is the scenario, the situation. There were seven brothers. The first, when he had married a wife, deceased. He died. Having no sons, no issue, left his wife unto his brother, just following what Moses said to do. Likewise, the second also, and the third, the second brother died with no sons. The third brother died with no sons, all the way unto the seventh. And the last, last of all, the woman died also. So that's the... That's the word problem, if you will. That's the scenario, the situation that they're looking to Jesus to solve. Can you tell us in this situation, um, what's your answer to that? Verse 28, it says, therefore in the resurrection. Okay, catch that. These people that don't believe in the resurrection. In this quote-unquote resurrection that you say is going to happen, whose wife will she be of those seven? For they all had her. She was married to each one, one after the other after the other. It's a trick question. You get that? They're trying to bring to Jesus a situation that says, this, this situation disproves your stance, your... Um, your position, your, your thought process, your teaching, okay? So you teach this, but this problem really would point out the falsehood of your teaching. And look at Jesus' response to her in verse 29, to them, sorry, in verse 29. He says, ye do err. 
He doesn't even he doesn't even start by addressing the question. Okay? He does address it. He's got an answer for it. But this is the principle that I wanted to point out in this particular passage. Jesus starts with the condition of the one who's asking the question. So many times we think I would follow Jesus or I would I would trust this more or I would really get on board with this doctrine if I could explain it all, if I could answer every question or maybe if just this one particular question that I've never heard a good answer for could ans- could be answered then yeah sure then I would believe, then I would follow. Um, no doubt we have friends and, and probably even relatives that somewhere along the way in conversation, they know you, you're a believer. And they might have that one burning question or that one issue. And you know this thing is basically what's coming between them and God in their mind. Why, do you, why does everybody at your church fill in the blank? Or how come everybody has to? Fill in the blank. And that's the condition of the person, of the person asking the question. So just as these Sadducees ask Jesus this question and he addresses their condition, this is what he says. Ye do err. That means you're, you, 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 you are in error. You're doing the wrong thing. Not just by asking the question, but he says you err. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. So the first place that you're, that you're in error, that you're wrong, you're approaching this from the wrong standpoint, is you don't know the scriptures. You're bringing me this theological question. And I'm telling you, there's an answer There's a theological answer. It's in the scriptures. He's saying this to the Sadducees. Okay, the people that made their life studying the scriptures. So let that let that sink in. These are people who devoted their lives to studying the scripture. And he says, you don't know the scripture. Now, when he quotes the law and tries to lay out the answer, I don't doubt that they've seen and heard that passage before from Scripture. So he's not saying, let me, let, me, let me open the Bible to a passage that you've never read before, and hopefully we can kind of, he's not, that's not his point. You don't know the Scripture, nor the power of God. Verse 30, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but as but are as the angels of God in heaven verse 31 but as touching the resurrection of the dead have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God saying I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob God is not the God of the dead but of the living. So, if they believe there is no such thing as a resurrection, really, what he's saying by pointing out this passage is, he's not their God. I am not the God of the dead. 
So really, do you want to stick with that, or would you like to change your position on this issue? I am not the God of the dead. I am the God of the living. So I'm not, I, if I was a Sadducee up to that point, and always believed and knew the scripture, and just thought we're going to live up to a certain point, and then we're going to die, and there's no resurrection, Really, what they're saying is there's no eternal life. Because you're dead, and then you're dead, and that's it. That's the finale. But God is saying, hey, I'm your God while you're alive, yes. But I am not the God of the dead. So if you think that your life is finite, or is just ending at the point of death, then you're telling me there's going to be a point where I'm no longer your God. It's going to end. But Scripture says, and he says it to them, have you not read? God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And he also said in, in verse 29, you err not knowing the power of God. This, in my opinion can be just as essential or even more so than knowing the Scripture because if you don't know the Scripture, the book, chapter, and verse, but you say, oh, well, I do know that He's God and He's all-powerful, that should cover it because He can do. I don't know how, how He's the God of the living. I don't know how somebody resurrects after they die, but I do know the power of God. His ability to do whatever he wants to do. So Jesus says, you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. So even if I try to explain to you the scriptures and you've seen this and you read it and you still have questions. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. It's a little bit clearer. You know, the lights are starting to come on a little bit. But, I, I, you know, that if I believe that, then that really just leads me to this question. And then I want to know about this. And, well, if that's true, then how do you do this? Kind of like Santa Claus. <laughs> we have five. And one of them, we've never told any of them that Santa Claus is real. But one of them on his own has chosen to believe that Santa Claus is real. And... Um, when you, when you stop to think about it, the child doesn't have to figure out all the logistics. And, and if you got an older child that is the type that is not willing to put up with that nonsense, I stopped believing, and I'm going to have to get you to stop believing too. Think about it. How does he, and then they start to lay out. Well, how can he do this? And how can he be there? And how, where does this? And what is that child? I don't know. He's Santa Claus. He can do it. That sounds kind of silly, but when you know the power of God, that is your answer. I don't know how he does it, but I know he's God. I know that he's all powerful and I know he can do it. Look at John chapter 3, verse 13. 
we, we, I think a lot of us start our journey with God in faith. And then somewhere along the way, oftentimes very quickly along that journey of faith, we start, we, we deviate from a journey of faith and we get on the, the, the pathway to logic. And we start to think, where does my faith and my logic intersect? And I can, be, I can say all day till I'm blue in the face that I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But then as soon as somebody asks me a question or if I just start to think long enough about an issue, a topic, doubt comes just because I don't have the logic to back it up. And, I, and so in my, my own mind, I'm saying I'm a believer and I'm questioning at the same time. So we start our journey with faith, but... We hit the speed bumps, the logic speed bumps, if you will. John chapter 3, and we, we're going to pick up here in this um, very familiar setting where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And the earlier parts of John chapter 3 is when Jesus explains the new birth, so to speak, to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born of water and of spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And now here is the sound thereof. Canst not tell whether it cometh or whether it goeth. And then Nicodemus says, how? Go ahead and look at verse 9. This is, that's Nicodemus' response to the explanation. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? So again, he's confronting the condition of the person that's asking the question. He's not, he's not just answering the question. He's not just there to recite answers or quote. Okay, He's looking at Nicodemus and saying, Wait a second. You're a master of Israel. You're you're a rabbi. You're a, you're a teacher. You're supposed to know these things. Why are you asking me how? Verse 11. Verily verily I say unto thee unto thee we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. So this we that Jesus is talking about is himself and his disciples. The followers, we're, we're, we're telling you, we're testifying the things that we know and the things that we've seen, okay? That's our witness to you, and ye receive not our witness. Verse 12, Jesus answered and said unto him, oh, sorry, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So, I, so Jesus goes to Nicodemus, or one of his disciples, in this witnessing process and says, you won't believe it. We saw a dead man raised. It actually happened. Thursday of last week. We were there. He was there. He was there. I was there. We're telling you what we saw. Or a blind person that was healed. Or whatever it was. They're witnessing the things that they saw. 
And now Jesus says, if you don't believe that, how are you going to believe when I start to tell you about things that we haven't seen? Things that they haven't seen. Spiritual things. Verse 13. And no man, catch this. We're going to kind of transition a little bit. But this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He says, no man hath ascended up to heaven. But he that came down from heaven. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. I'm going to break that verse down, you, down for you for a minute. Jesus, talking to Nicodemus. No man has gone up there except the one that came down from there. Now, in the time, timeline of Jesus, the man on earth, that, that doesn't make sense because he was born you know, 2,000 years ago from yesterday, <laughs> you get it, he was born, so that's the coming down part, but he's saying nobody's gone up there except him which has come down. So I'm the, Jesus is saying, I'm the one that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, but I have ascended. To heaven. Now, just so you don't get too confused or try to wonder where does this happen, this is not in that time frame after the resurrection, before the ascension. Okay, that, that, that's, that's later. So Jesus is saying, before he's been crucified, I've gone up to heaven and I've come down from heaven. How can that be? Wait a second. That doesn't fit with uh, this whole. 33 years stuff, you know, and he's just a man that was born and then ascended. Am I the only one seeing that? No man hath, has, no one ever has, except, not no one will ever get to future tense except me. No one has done this except me. Even the son of man, which is is, is, even the Son of Man, which is, not was, not will be, is in heaven. That's like me saying, I'm going to go buy this house. I've never seen it. Nobody's ever gone there except me. Hang on. Time out, time out. You just said you're going to go buy a house you've never seen. No one's ever seen it except you. Pictures online, yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's not how it worked. And, and nobody lives there except the one who's there right now. Me. Okay, now Nicodemus is starting to... Uh, yeah, I am a master of Israel, but this is some weird stuff. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So now I'm pointing back to the principle that Jesus shared with the Sadducees. You err 
not knowing the scripture and not knowing the power of God. Because when you know the scripture and when you know the power, all these questions that this passage raises, it's faith. I believe in the power of God. For Jesus to be able to say he's already ascended once or twice or however many times, and he's here, and he's there. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not. Now he's talking future. Okay. Even as Moses did this in the past. So this is going to happen in the future. So that whosoever believeth in him in the future. Should not perish. But have eternal life. Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. Because that was heavy, but we're not done. He's not done. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Pause there for just a second and let me re-interject the other verse, the only begotten son who no man has ascended to heaven except this only begotten son who is there with Nicodemus. That's who he's talking about himself. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. First John this is, this is a little trick. I, I like tricks that help me remember and memorize things. We just read John 3.16. Now we're going to read 1 John 3.16. Okay? I'm giving Brother Jeremiah an exercise back there tonight. 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we... The love of God. Go, go back and read verse 15 just so you can see where we're at. We're not talking about Jesus in some kind of contextual setting here. I, I want to make that clear. Okay, because John is writing this book and he, he's writing here in verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye that ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Okay? End of that thought. Talking about murderers, and if you've got the mur- if you're a murderer, you don't have eternal life. Verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. Hang on. Pause, time out. How many of you are reading for uh, King James Version of your Bibles? Does it have two words in italics, in italics right there? Hereby perceive we the love of God in italics. What that means is, 
that phrase of God was not originally there in the, in the Greek that John wrote through the inspiration of Jesus, through the Lord. Okay, so he just said, hereby perceive we the love. And then they added the phrase of God to try and make sure we know whose love we're talking about. Okay, they're making sure we know whose love we're talking about. But then they're also making sure we know who died for us. At least they might have thought they were. But this is what the scripture says. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. If I was teaching my kids to memorize it, I would teach them just like that. It's a complete thought. This is how we know the love of God. He laid down his life for us. Now, in a room of oneness believers, that doesn't really hit a lot of bells. I mean, yes, we believe it. That's true. Praise God. Thank the Lord. But stop and think for a minute what this must look like to someone who is questioning. Questioning. Where do we start? Questions. Questions about resurrection. Questions about marriage in the afterlife. Questions about uh, the new birth experience. Okay, here's a question. Who died on the cross? And what, I mean, it's just, yeah, Jesus. Okay, we're getting somewhere. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Look at Romans chapter 5. See, these, these, these truths are interwoven in Scripture. We, seg- we, we try to segment them for our own understanding. Segment meaning, tonight we're just talking about oneness. No. Tonight we're just talking about the love of God. No. Tonight we're just talking about resurrection of the dead. No. Tonight we're just talking about eternal life. No. Scripture is not segmented like that. It's just a whole ball of truth. Romans 5 and 5. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, we just read... This is how we know the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. Now here it's saying we have the hope and we're not ashamed because the love of God is shown abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. The love of God is illuminated in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ 
died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Verse 8, but God, everybody say God. Say it again. But God commendeth his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, sorry, in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Questions. We're talking about questions that arise because of Scripture. If if you don't stop and try to let the Holy Ghost illuminate this to you, and you just take for face value what any man, me, or Bishop, or Elder Hart, or Brother Lewis in a Bible study, or Brother Tim when you're just sitting at his house and he starts talking about the Bible, anybody, if you just take it at face value, your coworker, the pastor of the church down the street, whatever it is, if you just take it at face value and... Don't let the Holy Ghost, don't try to get the Holy Ghost to illuminate to you the truth. Then you just see concepts. You just see segmented like we were talking about before. And in that problem, in that situation, here's what you see. This is my son. Callum, come up here for a second. I just caught his attention. He's got the Rubik's Cube and all. That's okay. This is what you see if you just read that verse. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were sinners, I made him die for y'all. You can go sit down. I'm not going to make you die. That's what you see. If you just believe that there's a portion of God that did this and another person, entity, um, distinct, separate person that did that. God loves me so much that he made his son die for me. Man, 2018, you start talking about stuff like that and you're going to get thrown in jail. For that kind of parenting, we think, well, in the natural, we know that's not the case. No, you, <laughs> that's like, that's like me saying, I, I love you all so much, I'm going to make Annabelle bake you all cookies. That's how much I love you. I'm going to make her bake you cookies, and then I'm going to get the glory. Because you all know how much I love you. Now, I don't, you're not going to sit back there and say, oh, man, Brother Flowers is such a nice, loving person. He, and, eat, and eat those cookies. Oh, he's such a good father. He's such a loving person. But we take that approach when we, when we don't stop and let the Holy Ghost try to illuminate this to us, this is what a Trinitarian view perpetrates. 
God, and we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, no, it's his only begotten son. So that should increase the level of love. That's how much he loves you. Not that he has this plethora of sons, you know. He's not that he's got five kids. Oh, which one of them? I, oh, I'll give you up. Okay. No, it's his only begotten son. So see, that's how much he loves us. It still doesn't work. One or 20 sons. It doesn't work that way. Oh, he's... Uh, and, and then we, we approach this with our human mind, our human reasoning to say, this is what a loving God we have. That he was in, willing to endure that heartache while his son died on the cross. I'm not making light of it, okay? I apologize. I'm not trying to be offensive. But that, that's when you don't stop and think and consider and try to, try to know who God is, you approach it from that angle. Verse 9. We're in Romans 5. I'm going to read verse 8 again. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And here again, we have this misconception of the father. To say. Oh. Yes, he was loving. Yes, he gave his only son. But if I try to follow this all the way through, that means I have to believe that his son died for me so he doesn't get mad at me. So that he doesn't judge me for not believing that he sent his son to die for me. That's not the way that it's written. That's not, that's not, it's not what the scripture says, that if we, we'll be saved from his wrath, saved from wrath through him, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, okay, I'm just trying to paint the complete picture for you, okay? If I use that analogy of my son again, and this is, this is the misconception that so many people have towards God when they, when they don't stop and think about it. If, if we use that analogy of me giving my son to die for you, then you have the, you have the command to believe that or I'm going to be mad at you for not believing that. So you're trying to justify yourself with me through that. And say, uh, I just, I believe enough. I want to believe enough. I want to confess enough that Jesus is who he was so that God, so that I don't incur the wrath of God the Father. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God 
by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Jump down to verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one's man's if by one man's offense death reigned. We keep seeing this phrase one man, one man, one man, one man. One man's sin made us all sinners, so one man's righteousness made us all righteous. Is this okay? I hope I'm not boring anybody too much. I'm trying to get what's in here out there. Because if my approach is wrong towards God, then with this one man concept, I think the father begat this offspring and somewhere along the way huddled up and said, okay, now you better be perfect. You better not be enticed. You better not sin because all the world's counting on you. Tell me where that is in Scripture. Tell me where that huddle took place. It didn't. But, but we, we, we have to draw a logical conclusion from point A to point B because we're still trying to figure this out logically. Human reasoning. Where, how, when did Jesus go from being born to being perfect and dying? And somewhere along the way, God's just up there like, man, I hope he keeps it straight. I hope he keeps his act together. I better not send too many of these challenges his way. That's not scripture. Verse 17, if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Verse 21, jump down to verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace Reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Why don't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, God, we believe the truth of your word. Every scripture, Lord, every word, every letter that's written, inspired by you, Lord Jesus. God, that you are the true, the one true Father. Jesus, in you is all power. Jesus, in you is all understanding. 
Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You are the Father. You are the King. Why don't you stand and let's just pray. Let's give the Lord some praise, some adoration, recognition of who He is. Jesus, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. Jesus, I'm thankful for who You are. I'm thankful that You loved me. God, I'm thankful that You loved me. Jesus, I want Your Spirit to become illuminated in my spirit. Jesus, I want your love to be shown in my spirit by your spirit, God, by the truth of your word, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, help us by your spirit, O oh God. Help us, Lord, through your spirit. Jesus, we're longing for truth. We're longing for you, O oh God. We want to know you and your word. You have all power, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just continue to reach out to the Lord. His presence is here right now. Lord, we're thankful. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for your truth, Father. We're thankful for your truth, Father. Thank you for your grace, O God. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, mighty God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for sharing with me. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you sit, sit down for just one minute. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. My, early ex ex my earliest exposure to any kind of a church, uh, the only thing that was ever submitted to me was to accept the Lord as my Savior. And everything was good. And uh, it wasn't until I was 22 years old when somebody began to talk to me about receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost as being the spirit of truth that would lead me and guide me into all truths. And this reference of uh, concerning the resurrection, them not knowing the Scripture, uh, they, uh, you know, they, they did not believe or understand the concept or have faith towards the idea of resurrection which is coming back to life because from the natural standpoint which was their uh, position it was quickening power or they didn't know the power of God which was quickening which is resurrection what this reference of the apostles is uh, with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had resurrection power dwelling in there because they'd received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Okay? You hear me? Looking at me? Just right here. Receiving the resurrection power. The new birth experience brought resurrection into them by the spiritual quickening. That's... 
you know, changing from dead nature to living nature. That's going from a word that would bring death to a living word which brings life, right? Now, uh, the other Bible, I got to switch back and forth between Bible versions here. Here's my point. You you cannot have an understanding of this resurrection, and which is what he was declaring unto them. Look, you don't you 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 just don't know. You don't know this because you haven't experienced this. Number one, I haven't poured it out yet. But yet, then we go to the apostles, which was post Acts chapter two, outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They had received the quickening. This is the life-changing impact upon us as a believer. Okay? Believers are baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So believers get baptized. And then they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the quickening or the, oh, I know what it was now, which was the resurrection power. Just one second. Here it is. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. That's referencing the the him, the spirit of him is God the Father. The spirit. Raised up Jesus, the son or the flesh that was embodied to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. This is the key in the catching away of the bride. There will be those who've already gone to the grave. All right? But when the Lord returns, he is going to quicken those that are dead by his spirit. So if I die in the Holy Ghost, if I die having received the Holy Ghost, or if I'm still walking upon this earth, but I have received a new birth, I've been filled with his spirit, that when the time comes, that spirit indwelling in me is the thing that's going to get me off the ground, get me out of the grave. That's the resurrection power. You got it? Did you get it? Are you going to get it? Do you want to get it? That's what they said to me when I walked into a Pentecostal church here in Yakima many years ago now. But as a boy, all I had been shared in the word when I attended a a church that my mother took me to, they just said, look, just ask the Lord to forgive you and raise your hands and accept the Lord. 
It wasn't many years later until they began to talk to me about this resurrection power and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then it was just a matter of a week or two, I had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, going back then, it's like, you know, okay, so this is what I need to do to get saved? No, this is what you need to get you off this ground and out of this place when the time comes. It's having that indwelling spirit in you. Amen? You know, there's, there is a lot of confusion, and it returns every Christmas in our world because there are doctrines of men that have been taught through the ages and one of them we refer to is, and what uh, Brother Caleb referred to was a Trinitarian doctrine, which says there are three deities, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existing. And when you go into the scripture, you realize that can't be true. We see these different terminologies, but truly when you've, gathered, when you've embraced the concept to wit that God was in Christ or the Spirit indwelled that body of flesh. Reconciling the world, how? Through the atonement of His blood. The, the, the blood of a spotless lamb. He was the only spotless lamb. Praise God. I, I don't mean to redo everything that you just did here. Let's stand. An individual. You know, our approach to people is different oftentimes. I remember when people would approach me about a better life. Like, like I was trading lives, you know. Instead of your old way of life, this is a new way of life. And it will be better. <laughs> and then there were those that approached me because I was a, uh, you know, I was an alcoholic. And so their, their approach to me was, uh, you know, a, one of deliverance. You can get delivered and be free. And then there's those that would approach you on the basis of, well, you want to go to heaven. You want to be saved. And so we have all these, you know, different approaches when it comes to sharing the plan of redemption. All of those things are true. But the imperative of having the blood applied to redeem me from my sinless state, not just the sins I've committed, it's the sinless or the sinful state that I've been born into. And the idea that he could resurrect something that was dead in sin to be alive in Christ. I love this term, becoming alive unto God. It's like an awakening. It's like a climbing up out of a casket. You know, and they, you know, they did that. And we can read about it in the scripture. And when the Lord resurrected from the grave or no, I'm not going to go there. Let's pray. We're thankful for the teaching of your word here tonight, Father. 
We are thankful for revelation and understanding of those things that you have continued to reveal unto us by your spirit. The opening of our understanding, Lord. The the opening of our eyes to see clearly, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We love you. We worship you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.